Underwriting for AutoLine this week is provided by... Did you know advanced high-strength steels are the leading material used by automakers to achieve the new fuel economy standards? Advanced high-strength steels are lighter in weight and reduce greenhouse gas emissions without compromising safety, performance, or affordability. Steel, a sound, sustainable investment. Today, tomorrow, and beyond. For more information, visit autosteel.org. You know why I pulled you over, ma'am? I need you to recalibrate the Doppler shift on the return signal. Radar's on the frisk. Do Sonata drivers know something you don't? The Sonata from Hyundai. And now, here is your host, John McElroy. Thanks for joining us on AutoLine This Week. We're going to be talking all about the retail experience. And my special guest for today's show is Scott Painter, the CEO of TrueCar. Scott, welcome to AutoLine. Thanks for having me. We've also got Steve Finley, the editor of Ward's Dealer Business, and Joe White from the Wall Street Journal. Great having the both of you Thanks. here, too. Good to be here. Scott, TrueCar exploded with all kinds of business and people visiting the, the website, really rocketed up uh, the, towards the end of last year, and then, boom, you ran into all kinds of problems. Things dropped off dramatically. I'm just wondering, where does it stand right now? How's the business going? So uh, TrueCar has had a, a pretty big setback for uh, the last 12 months, and it has predominantly to do with uh, us taking a, a moment of pause to sit down and, and really understand how to scale the business in partnership with the industry. And so last year at this time, TrueCar went on television, and you're right, the, uh, the site uh, definitely got a lot of traffic. We had a lot of customers going into partner dealers, but we also saw a real drop in uh, transactional pricing with the dealers that were on the program and it created a real conflict and that is if a dealer is going to be on the program and sell cars they must do it profitably and so we had to really spend time working on the dealer product and the consumer side of the product to make sure it did that and accomplish that objective in other words when when the <clears throat> site first got going dealers were trying to get customers to come to their site so they kept lowering and lowering their prices so that Consumers would see that's the best dealer to go to, and then you're saying they weren't making any money on these cars. Well, TrueCar has been around for seven years. Um, we, we today operate the Affinity Auto Buying programs for thousands of brands, including uh, brands like USAA, Consumer Reports, AAA, American Express. And so the business has a strong foundation underneath it. Um, what, in reality, we learned is that we had not reached the inflection point of real relevance. Dealers were not using TrueCar to price cars. They were seeing it as a way of getting incremental sales. And I think what happened at the end of last year is we became hyper-relevant very quickly when we went on television. And it did create a discounting reality where dealers were chasing the customer based on lowering their price. <clears throat> you know, I, 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 I'm interested in, in this. I mean, in the car business, you know, for, for 100 years or more, um, you know, car dealers have had or used to have a monopoly more or less on the on information about pricing and over time that eroded as you know, sort of paper pricing kinds of products. Then the internet comes in and people in Silicon Valley said, you know, you talk about a, a retail model that's ripe for disruption. It's this one where you have car dealers which have, you know, 98% of the information about, information about pricing, consumers with none. It sounds like y your service, your, your site and the data that you've amassed succeeded exactly in giving customers what they should have, and yet you've you've had to pull back from that. And I'm just sort of curious, sort of how you've you know where you find the balance point now. 
Well, I think as a shareholder of the company, uh, there's no question that uh, disruption is sort of evidenced by uh, us having to really take a, a full one-year reset. Um, we are literally in every key metric in the business where we were at one year ago today. So as a hyper-growth company where we've been doubling in size uh, every year and a very profitable business for the last two or three years, we went to a really flat year. Uh, we had about 13% growth this year. So uh, for us, I think there's no doubt that having to respond to the industry and sort of listen uh, is, is a sign of disruption of sorts, but I think it also reflects the size of the opportunity. The reality is, is that only until you're being disruptive do you really get to figure out how to solve those problems. And uh, there's no doubt that uh, I think everybody knows who TrueCar is now today, and we had a choice to make, whether we sort of took a very aggressive stance against the industry and said, we're going to be the, the consumer's biggest hero and we're going to just keep pushing data as the only agenda. Um, I think that there is a balance there, which is consumers are, are really focused on not making a mistake when they go into a dealership. They're focused on a fair deal. And we think that that psychology is actually more powerful than the psychology of greed to save the most amount of money. I think the idea that uh, TrueCar became known for the lowest price at any cost um, is a mismanagement of our brand that I'm responsible for. And the reality is, is prior to going on TV, we really weren't that relevant. The dealers that were on our program were not checking into the pricing portal, for example, on a regular basis and updating their pricing more than once a month. Today, the average dealer on our program is on, the, on that pricing portal six, seven times a day. Well, the rap against the old true car was that you were trying to play at both sides. You were trying to be the consumer advocate and the friend of the dealer. And some people said that's fundamentally impossible to do. So what have you done that reckons those two distinctive differences? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I, I, I don't agree with that position. I, I don't believe that you can't reconcile those two. I do believe that um, transparency and truth can actually lead to profit. I think that uh, the idea that the consumer thinks the dealer makes on average 10% on the sale of a new car when the dealer is making closer to 3 4 5% um, is... Uh, an astonishing mismatch in terms of perception. Um, I, I think that price distribution is probably where a lot of that fear comes from. Some people pay a lot more for a car than other people, and the idea that information can narrow that distribution can reintroduce trust back into the car business. Um, as it relates to balance and true car, uh, my body of work and 20 years of raising money for uh, you know, venture-backed startups in the car business there's a lot of rhetoric in there, and there's a lot of things that I just don't comment on anymore, and I just have no business talking about. I mean, the reality is, is that you know what a dealer's margin is, or how they run their business, or how they staff their sales force are really not true car issues. And so, um, I think once we became the poster child for discounting or for the kinds of things that that we become known for, um, we had to decide where we stand a as a company. And I do believe that. A free market system finds balance. It finds equilibrium. And the idea that supply and demand are sustainable is something that we do fundamentally believe in. Um, the idea that a customer, when educated, who's not an expert in buying a car, can see that a fair price is X, and then they are shown an upfront price of X, that, that I think, is a, a complete overlap in that, in that discussion where you do find true alignment. And, and that's really what we're seeking. The premise that TrueCar's mission was to win at the, cut, at the dealer's expense is just false. And, and so we probably weren't aggressive enough about that. I think we were, um, I, I think that as a business, we were arrogant, we were glib, we didn't really have the relationships in place. 
Um, today, I can say I know most of the folks in the ATAE world that I didn't know before. And, and not having those relationships, I think, was a big mistake for us as a company. There's two questions I want to ask you about that, uh, but I'm gonna, and I'm going to ask this one first. I mean, you talked about pricing, and I'm curious, you know, from your data, and this goes to the sort of question of where the balance of power is between a customer and a dealer when you're getting into a negotiation. But as you've looked at the data about pricing, how much variation between sort of you know the, the top price that someone pays in a market for a car and, and the and the bottom price? And this is basically what you're offering to people that visibility. Yeah. How much variation is there? And is it narrowing? It is narrowing. Because um, people supposedly you know, yeah. get more information. So, so the real answer to the question is really granular. So you, you, you can find examples where you have a price distribution of 40 42%. You can also find sort of average examples, depending on the year make model or, or the market that you're in, where it's closer to 20%. I would say on a, a more uh, sort of middle market car, sort of in the $25,000 price range, you're probably looking at, at 7 to 10% today, and that has narrowed over the last three or four years. What we started to see in markets where TrueCar was extremely relevant at the end of last year, so take uh, Northern Virginia mm -hmm. as an example, where we operate uh, auto buying programs for USAA, PenFed, Military.com, AAA Mid-Atlantic, Consumer Reports, Boeing Employees Credit Union, just on and on. Very, very military-centric market for us. We had started to get to a network effect where the price distribution was narrowing so rapidly on some of these vehicles that everybody had the information that they needed to go in and sort of present to the dealer, beat this price or I'm going to leave. And it wasn't just true car dealers. People were able to go at that time to the true car site, print out not only what others paid, which is a really valuable piece of information, but also what the true car dealer would charge you for that car, and that became sort of the prisoner's dilemma for every other dealer, because they were just simply presented with, beat this price or I'm leaving. And what we've done now, and, and this is in large response to the, uh, the OEMs and some of the large dealer groups that have said, we wanna, we wanna create a buffer between the upfront offer as an advertisement and the experience on TrueCar. Well, they want to protect their pricing. That's what they really want to do. Well, I, I, think, I think from an OEM point of view, it's a little bit different than from a dealer point of view. I think from an OEM point of view, they want to protect their brand. And I think that's very rational. I think that they, wa they want to prevent um, you know, steep, steep discounting as an open ad. And so today, if you go to TrueCar, the, the experience is what did others pay? And you can find out how that looks historically. But they also you, want to protect their pricing because if that transaction <laughs> price goes down, so does the MSRP. I mean, it's, it's got to go down with it at some point. So that's, that's one of the reasons the, the automakers were so concerned about where those prices were going. And, and there's a lot of, you know, there is a lot of evidence that everybody was very upset about that and they're concerned about that. TrueCar became really a poster child for it. We drive 1% of the sure market did. at that time. And I think the the, the fact that discounting as a concern is real, um, that, that's a real problem for the industry. It's not just a true car issue. I think the idea that dealers are discounting to sell the car, even at a loss, is a bigger problem. And what was also happening, and it, it, this has happened before true car came along, is the customer is lured in by this low, low price, and all of a sudden that car is not there. Now that car legitimately might not be there because somebody else bought it, or it might not have been there in the first place, according to some critics of, of well, dealers. Well, that's a problem, yeah. and I, that's a problem that I know yeah. that I think you had, where dealers were quoting prices on cars that either didn't exist or or, or even not configurable. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't agree with the not configurable statement. Um, so there are, uh, if you look at you know, 
sort of the, the high level sort of numbers in the auto industry. You've got 50 brands, 500 models, 5,000 trims. You've got 100 million permutations of car. You've got two and a half million on the ground at any given time. You're going to have an unsatisfying experience if you want to go into a configurator and find that car somewhere. I've had that experience. Okay, so, it's so it's not likely that the car you want, the way you want it, exists necessarily in the system today uh, as a percentage or statistical likelihood. The, the reality is what you have to do is sort of base it on guaranteed savings off of MSRP. And the industry does, as a term of art, very accurately calculate both invoice and MSRP down to the option and trim level. So I think that we're, we're intelligent enough in terms of how we look at the data to be able to decipher that for the consumer. But the language has definitely shifted. It's shifted from upfront price to guaranteed savings. And in part, that's because we've had to navigate different state regulatory issues and different dealer associations and different manufacturers. And we've taken both the objective and the subjective criticism and said, what can we do to sort of be a citizen in this ecosystem? So how's it working now? You, <clears throat> you mentioned you've been around seven years, doubling growth every year. Fourth quarter last year, bang, you get on television, all kinds of people come in and boom, you run into these problems, things drop off. You mentioned a 13% growth uh, year yep. today, which is probably... Maybe not even as good as the whole car market it's doing right now. But I'm trying to get a handle on, with what you're doing now, how's it working? I.e., yeah. how many more dealers have come back into the system, say, since the, the first quarter of this year? So we're a, we're a private company, but I'll be pretty transparent about our numbers because we, we require transparency. Um, so we had gotten up to 5,700 dealers at, at our peak. Um, we went down to 3,170 dealers at our trough, and we're now back up at about 5,200 dealers. So if that's the measure of health of the business, we're back really where we were last October. Well, well what it shows is our dealers gaining trust in what you're doing now with, uh, with your new approach. I, well, I, I think the proof is in walking the walk and not just talking the talk. For us, it's taken a year to re-engineer the product, and we actually sat down after all of this happened and said, okay, who do we want to be as a company? We had to clear out some folks that were in the business. We had to change the DNA of how we thought, and we did start with a whiteboard and said, okay, if we're working for the dealer, how can we help them to use the science of pricing to retain margin? That's literally what it comes down to because it, it is just as complex for the dealer to track all the vectors going on in the marketplace around discounts and incentives and what other dealers are charging as it is for the consumer. So if a, <clears throat> if a dealer is going to really understand the inflection point between maximized volume of sales and margin retention, they have to use these kinds of tools. But this, this is the thing that I think might be, in, might be puzzling for consumers. I'm going to come back around to the consumer. You, know, you, you said that, that part of what you're trying to do is help dealers retain margin. And from a business and industry point of view, that makes perfect sense. Yep. But if I'm a customer, I don't care. I want, the, I want the dealer to give me always margin, right? I mean, sure. you know, and, and just in kind of a crass way. So who are you working for? When I come to you, you know, are you working for me or are you working for the dealer? That's the thing that it's I... It's a great question. I, th I think it was really the, uh, the fundamental soul-searching question for TrueCar over the last year, which is, you know, what are we? Are we the Walmart of cars and trying to be the lowest price? And the reality is we don't sell cars. The dealers sell cars. We don't set prices. The dealers set prices. What we are is a marketplace. We want to be an intelligent marketplace, and we're premised on transparency driving to fairness. And so there is a fundamental belief that through transparency all parties benefit from a fair deal. You don't have somebody massively overpaying for a car because they're uninformed, but additionally, you don't have somebody having to sell a car because they've got to make their numbers at such a loss that they do other things in the transaction that are not good for the consumer or that long-term relationship. So I, I think we have a belief that we're a marketplace 
and that our job is to make sure that we have given both the buyer and the seller the tools to be treated fairly. Well, there's an axiom in the business. If the dealer isn't making money and has a problem in that regard, you have a problem in that regard, and that applies to automakers. Sounds like it applies to you and, it absolutely and other companies applies to like us. you. And I, I think your reinvention is, is incredible. It really is amazing, both Thank on you. a company level and a, and a personal level. Just want to get off pricing for one second, because this has been a criticism of True Cars and, and other third-party providers. Um, and again, it's not so much about pricing. It is about representatives of the company playing uh, consumer watchdog roles of tell, writing articles and posting stuff of the dealer basically is out to get you. You know, he, he is going to try to do things in the F&I office that you have to be aware of. And a lot of dealers say, wow, wait a minute. You know, these companies are supposed to be our partners. And yet they're, they're, posing, or they're putting these, these things out that we're the villain. And a lot of people have a problem with that. Yeah, so first of all, I think that uh, as a company, we sort of enabled that. I, I, you know, we talked earlier before the show about most of the employees that were at TrueCar at the end of last year were either crusaders or mercenaries. They were either there because the company was going to the moon or they were there because they wanted to stick it to the man. And perhaps a lot of that had to do with me and my rhetoric and the fact that I was that guy talking about that crusade. And we're really more on an odyssey now than a crusade. And, and I think the, uh, the reality for us is that um, we had to get rid of some of the mentality that existed. We brought in a lot of folks that have a lot of industry experience. And we've, I think, done a very big transplant at that level. It did start with me, however. I had to, I had to personally say, first of all, am I the guy to run the company through this? And if I am going to be the guy to run the company, I have to fundamentally take a different approach, and I have to look at what do I need to learn, how do I need to see it differently. And at the end of the day, I'm an entrepreneur, and I want to build a successful company. I think that the, the things that we built TrueCar on were misperceived because we took the convenient route. Um, another reality for us is we just weren't relevant until we were. The system didn't work. The, the, the market-based system of being a, a marketplace requires a certain amount of volume and liquidity in it, and we didn't have that. And so the dealers that were on our program tended to be low-priced dealers, naturally. So they were already, if you went to True Car last year, the prices that you were getting before we had gone on TV were naturally low prices because we had dealers that were low-priced dealers. And I wasn't just singling you out, your company out, because there's a lot of companies that do that and continue to do that. I, I just read an article uh, posted on one of the third-party providers' websites that it sounded as if selling finance and insurance products was a crime. I mean, really, you know, well, I, I, crimes can be committed in the F&I office <laughs> by some on shady dealers, but the selling of F&I products alone is not criminal, and you would have thought so reading this article. I, I think it's a fair statement, though, to say that the perception by consumers of the buying experience is largely negative. And understanding that psychology and acknowledging it is part of how you reposition the industry. And I think that TrueCar today, in very much like an association, we represent a network of 5,200 certified dealers that believe in the things that we're doing, and they want to sell cars based on that paradigm. And so uh, I, I think that to ignore it and simply say there is no negativity out there and we're never going to mention anything that is part of the debate or part of the dialogue would not be authentic. So, again, if we're a marketplace, we want to be agnostic about all of those issues. I think we want to put the debate out there. We want to have the conversation. But we do want to give a, a real reference point to say these dealers do believe in these things. And this is an experience that you can rely on if you go to TrueCar. 
I, let me ask you something. It seems like what you did was you created Pandora's box in, in the sense that you, you figured out how to get at really detailed pricing information and sort of dynamic pricing information of the sort that a lot of people would love to have. Yeah. Now, you've, you've taken a business decision to kind of back away from the extreme use of that tool or of that capability. Um, but the box is still there. I mean, the data that you use is, is not locked away. I mean, anybody yeah. could do this. I guess the question I have is, you know, what's to stop someone who, who makes a, business, a different business judgment than you've made? I think the auto industry will stop them. I, I, I think that uh, it's, it's actually pretty remarkable that TrueCar is still standing. Um, this last year has been, you know, personally, professionally, probably one of the biggest setbacks I've ever had. And um, we as a company, uh, we had to make a decision about whether we fought or whether we partnered. And that's a real fork in the road. And I think that uh, it would be a highly unpopular decision at one of the other big automotive information businesses that are out there that are generating hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue today on a different business model to take the risk that we did to be in that business. We built the company from the ground up based on accessibility of data, computational analytics, and being able to understand those trends in a way that's never been done before. I do believe that all of those companies will have to rationally move towards that transactional content and that data. You can't, if, if you're publishing reality, it's hard to publish a subjective version of that reality. And I think at some point we're all gonna be at the same number. At that moment, TrueCar's brand becomes much more about a better car buying experience, the quality of the dealers that are on the program, and what that brand represents. <coughs> so, do you, I mean, does, does your future potentially lie in, in a partnership of some sort with one of the other big informa auto inf information services like KBB, Edmonds, or whoever? Well, I think we do a very particular thing. I think if you look at the essence of each of those brands, they all have their own position in the marketplace. Uh, you know, for a long time when I was interviewed, I would say, you know, look, if you want to know about the third row safety seat, go to Edmonds. If you want to get rid of your used car, go to KVB. But if you want to find out what the price you should pay on a new car is, come to TrueCar. And the, the reality is, is that's our fundamental niche. And we tend to be very bottom of funnel as a result. And I think that is, in fact, the value that we bring to the dealers that are in the network is that one out of every three customers buys a car because they've already seen the price, they like the price, they know that it's a decent price or a fair price, and therefore they say, I'm ready to be a confident, satisfied customer. But you seem to be positioning the company to go beyond that, i.e. in the sense that you put out uh, sales forecasts of what you think uh, the month's sales are going to be. You've put out very interesting list, by the way, mm -hmm. of uh, zip code, the wealthiest zip codes, and who's buying what and that. So it seems like you're setting yourself up to be some sort of information provider, not just a marketplace. We're, well, we're a data company. We're premised on having all that insight and having all that data and being able to analyze it in a way that's very difficult. I think, you know, there, there are three bits of what we do at TrueCar that are uh, distinct. The first is we collect a massive amount of data, and it's part of our cost structure, and we spend millions of dollars doing it. And that's not something that a lot of other companies have built into their, their business. I think then we analyze it, and being able to decipher what goes into making an apples to apples comparison on a car that means something to the buyer and the seller at a transactional moment is actually quite complex. And then we present it. So visually, we are in the, in the sort of you know, visual display of quantitative information. That ultimately is premised on us being very good at understanding all of that data. And if you look at the predictions that we're seeing about sales numbers, we're the most accurate, bar none, that anybody has ever had. I, I think the ability to get to that sort of bottom line insight 
is really the value of big data and computational analytics. So as a, as a data house then, where do you go beyond just having a marketplace to buy cars? Well, I think our fundamental business model is about helping people to buy cars. And I think that the data supports the validation that the, that the brand is real and that the data is authentic and credible. And so our view is if we can build greater and greater data insight that the industry can leverage, then we're just a better partner to the industry. But it would only be to really reinforce that core value proposition. You're going to get into consulting and the thing like that too with uh, the business? So we already have a subsidiary in Automotive Lease Guide that um, has been around for 40 some odd years. And you know it is in the business of actively working with manufacturers and folks in the auto industry in a consultative way. Um, so I think that there are, you know, the, the definitive answer is sure, there's revenue streams that come in, but that's not our core business. That's not where we make our money. You, you better hide your address from Google. You know, they'll come and they'll come and make an offer you can't refuse because it's, it's a lot of what you're talking about. I mean, and they wouldn't have the scruples about maintaining relationships with dealers, I would think, that, that, that you've had to develop yeah. because of the, of the road you've been forced to travel. Well, I, yeah. I think you need to maintain a relationship with the dealer or else you're going to. Well, I, I think the value of, of the business at this point is premised on the relationships that we've built with the dealers in the industry. I think that um, if there was a risk factor in TrueCar's business a year ago, it's that we didn't know who those people were and we didn't have those relationships. And I've been out meeting all of our customers and I've been meeting with those uh, ATAEs and the dealer associations and the regulators and, and we're very intimately familiar with that space what today. Are, what are dealers telling you now versus what they told you before? Uh, I, I think it, they fall into two buckets. Uh, the dealers that are on our program are back to selling cars and they're very supportive and they're excited and they want to see us grow and they want to see us get back on the air. And obviously for them, that's an important dimension of that relationship. For the dealers that are not on our program, and there will always be 65 or 70 percent of dealers who just aren't on the program, I think that they fall into uh, two camps. Either they hate us still uh, or they're sort of saying, let's wait and see. I, I hear that they've changed. Um, but. I, I don't think we have as much to offer them because we're not in a direct commercial relationship. I do believe that the overall dynamics of succeeding in auto retail are changing. And so if you're a car dealer today, obviously cost control is really important. How you acquire your customers going forward is important. I think the, the science of pricing is going to be a key to success going forward as well. And so hopefully we can help the, the entire industry in that regard. But there will always be detractors. I think for us it's about genuinely are we walking the walk of, you know, in terms of things we've been talking about changing, and we are. And with that, we're going to have to wrap it up. Scott Panner, thanks so much for coming on. Steve and Joe, thank you guys as well. And thanks, please do tune in again next week for another episode of AutoLine This Week. Underwriting for AutoLine This Week is provided by... Did you know advanced high-strength steels are the leading material used by automakers to achieve the new fuel economy standards? Advanced high-strength steels are lighter in weight and reduce greenhouse gas emissions without compromising safety, performance, or affordability. Steel, a sound, sustainable investment. Today, tomorrow, and beyond. For more information, visit autosteel.org. Why? Because plants need water to grow. Because baseball's played in the summer. Oxygen and hydrogen. Because I forgot to get a receipt. Why? Why not? Why? Why don't you go ask your dad? Do Sonata drivers know something you don't? The Sonata from Hyundai.